Hello, this is Matt Marone, the worship pastor here at Glen Ellen Bible Church, and you're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, October 17th, 2021. Hey everyone, I'm John Vanderveld. Hello, I'm Simone Halpin. I'm Kelly Brady. Thanks for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. You guys talk. I'm going to eat. <laughs> so we ordered Blackberry Market treats. John is treatless. Why Why aren't you having any treats while we do this? Uh, I had a cup of coffee and I just didn't really. You're healthy. Boring. Boring. <laughs> Man, we got a bunch know. of questions. How many questions There's we have? There's stickers on Matt's thing that don't make it appealing to a person like me. I'll just be honest. Stickers? One sticker says vegan. One sticker says gluten-free. Oh, this is both. I didn't know that. Ooh. They did a good job on this. Good. That's good. Great. I take your word for it. (laughs) (laughs) My problem is I eat anything. Gluten full. You do? Gluten free. (laughs) Don't discriminate. I don't. I'm going to write a book on on the the dieting and eating habits of Kelly Brady over the (laughs) six years I've worked with him every day. How many times today have you seen his belly? What's the over under? So my mother seven. My mother's taken to listening to this podcast, and she hates this banter. Oh, she really hates this. Oh, and I think it's generational. Oh, really? I get a lot of people that are like, I tune out after you guys are done tuning around in the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man! So I made a move the other day in the car. Yeah. And Sherry goes, why are you turning right? I said, well, because we you never there. stop at red lights. I hate sitting at red lights. Yeah. And I said, this is a part of John Vanderveld's frustration. With me. <laughs> <laughs> I've driven around neighborhoods that you can go in a straight line because Kelly doesn't want to wait <laughs> the red light. So we turn right. Where are we going, Kelly? I just didn't want to wait. <laughs> it's better to be moving. Better to be rolling. All right. We got a bunch of questions. We do. We had a good Sunday, though. Just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, somebody wrote, and I didn't transpose it into the Worship killed it. Yeah, somebody wrote, worship killed it. Wrote where? In the, yeah, I didn't transpose in the, it. I didn't the, bring it into the script. Yeah, if it says great sermon, I it comes that. in. <laughs> if, <it's, laughs> right. if it says awesome music, it doesn't make, yeah. the, it doesn't right. make the script. <laughs> it it was, fun. I felt like uh, you had some unique energy on uh, first hour and some, some second hour. You were pumped trying to get fun. people to quote Simone. Hard to get them clapping. You got mm. them clapping. It's, yeah. It can always be a little uncomfortable because not everybody can clap to the beat. And so as hard as you try, Matt, it's always a risk. Like, we're just going to do it. Because the person behind me was yeah. off, but it doesn't matter. It's do you want to name names? Do you know who it was? No, I didn't know. Who, I didn't look. Were they I could a, hear they it. were on two and four and we were on one and Something three. Something like or, that. Yeah. But can I say, I don't know his name. The gentleman who... Peter Gibson. Oh, he's one of my favorites. He's one of the reasons I was just excited. Like, he's I just so love good. Yeah. He's got a great voice. He's got mm-hmm. great energy. There's, there's like a humility to him. Yep. He's not looking for the spotlight or you can just tell yep. he's there to worship. Yeah. It's really, I really appreciate when he. Agreed. Uh, so in both services yesterday, people began to clap and then stopped. Mm. So it's kind of set up a little bit of a talking moment there. Like, hey, nobody oh. up here receives a clap as, hey, look at me. Like right. we clap because we're together and this is awesome and right. fun. Right. and. That's what we do as a culture when something is just good and we, you know, yeah. it's part of praise. We clap. So anyway, um, there are churches that poo poo it. 
there should be no clapping. Right. Yeah, well, don't yeah, clap at the end of songs. Churches that poo poo movement in general, yeah. right? Like, yeah, I was waiting for someone to dance. <laughs> yeah, you know, I just want us to stop using the word poo poo. <laughs> <laughs> we had he used to have a parishioner. His mom, his mom just just <laughs> signed up. She just and we lost her. <laughs> we, we lost her. a subscriber. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was the previous. I think it was the way you said it that actually was over the edge. Just want to say, I know. <laughs> it's when you have you got out of the phase of having little kids when you use those words for things. So you had encouraged clapping and dancing, and then you said shouting. Did y'all hear someone actually? Yeah, I did hear shout? somebody shout. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a huge I encouragement for me. I, I told them to quiet cool. down. <laughs> I went over. So my, I don't want to shout. My expression is I, I whistle. I'm not like at a it's at such a, a Texas oh, thing. It yeah. is yeah. like at a Carrie, basketball game. Carrie's a whistler too. Oh. Do you do the two She's a killer no. whistler. Can you tell her to whistle to during oh, a service? Carrie's whistle is she can bring it. She can bring it. So amazing. when my kids were little, we've got a neighborhood with kids everywhere, and I'd walk when it's dinner time. Yeah. I'd walk up my front door yeah. and I'd whistle, yeah. and my kids would come from the farthest corners. That's awesome. Guy moved across the street and he did the same thing. I had to go over and tell him no. That's my whistle. The whistle's mine. Whistle. You don't. Is this the same guy you were trying to witness to last week? Yeah, he doesn't live there anymore. The first date Carrie and I ever went on, we went to the city of Chicago together um, with some friends and actually with my sister and and her husband. Anyway, we needed a cab and Carrie whistled for a cab. Oh, yeah. It was like all of us were like, (laughs) (laughs) she could hail a cab in downtown Chicago with that whistle. She's a farmer's daughter, right? Yeah, yeah. Whistling on the farm. Does she listen to the podcast? Yep. And I'm in trouble now. <laughs> That's a joke. All right. Let's get into some questions because, like Kelly said, we do have a lot. And, man, we got some really good ones. So here we go. First question. What is the extent of Satan's power in the world? Can Satan cause disasters like tornadoes and earthquakes? Can Satan torment people? Can Satan cause illness? Didn't you? you It's interesting we got this question because well, so you brought it up. On, yeah. Uh, so this was actually, well, this was submitted first hour at the oh, end of first hour, you didn't cover and then it. I tried in second hour to hit it. Got so it. I thought I would include it in the book of Job. We get a glimpse of some of Satan's power. So Job chapter one. If if you're not familiar with the the book of Job, it's a wealthy man who fears God and is righteous, upright. And and Job says to God, uh, Satan says to God, he he fears you because life is so good for him. Uh, you take all these blessings away and he won't, he won't serve or honor you. And anyway, God gives Satan permission to do to Job all but take his life. And some of what we see Satan do in his life, there's a whirlwind that comes, a violent wind that collapses a house where his kids are in the house. Uh, he provokes animosity uh, from neighboring nations that attack Job and kill his children. And so we get a glimpse there of some of Satan's strategies um, and so when I pray, I'll be honest with you, when I pray, I often pray what's about our gleaning some of what's going on in Job chapter one, Job had a hedge of protection around him. And then, uh, God lifts that for a while and allows him to endure some hardship. And when it's lifted, all hell breaks loose, natural disaster, warring tribes come against his family. So I'll, I'll often ask Lord, the Lord, you know, protect us. We need protection in this world. And I'll say, like Job had a hedge of protection around him, your care of him physically protect us. So, And then we also see in the Gospels, 
as Jesus confronts demons, there's often a description of the damage these demons have done in people's lives. And so in Mark chapter five, uh, there's a man that he lives among the tombs. So he's out by himself. Alienation is a part of the strategy of Satan. It's part of the impact of Satan in our lives, being alone, being out by yourself. Um, he, he was, uh, uh, it says he cut himself with stones. It's interesting. There's a, there's self-mutilation is um, a very, well, it's a fairly common thing teenagers struggle with, uh, both male and female these days, where they're cutting themselves. That's type of self-harm. I'm not saying everybody that cuts themselves has a demon. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that type of self-harm is something. It's, it's destructive. It's against, it's against God's creation, his love for us. And so I, I think these are things that give us an indication of what uh, the damage does, uh, Satan does in our, in our lives. It also says in, in Mark 5 that this guy was out of his mind. He wasn't in his right mind. And then when Jesus cares for him and delivers him of, of demonic uh, presence, uh, he's, it, it, we note afterwards, he's in his right mind. His mind is restored. He's clothed. He goes from being naked, alone in the tombs, and cutting himself out of his mind to with others in community. He actually carries the gospel to, to towns. With others, clothed, in his right mind, and not harming himself anymore. So we get there a, a, a kind of a, a description of God's redemptive work in our lives and the, and the harm that Satan would, would bring to us. It's also interesting in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul talks about a messenger of Satan that God had allowed in his life um, to torment him. It's often referred to as the thorn in the flesh, Paul. But Paul then says it's more than the thorn in the flesh. He says it's a messenger of Satan. And, um, and then Paul says, but God has given me the grace to endure it. My grace is sufficient for you. And so there's good news there. Even in, in other words, even if we have a Jobian experience or we have a season where we, where we face demonic torment or we have a season where we, there's a thorn in our flesh and we're having trouble, um, uh, God gives us the grace to endure and persevere in those situations. And Paul asked God to take it away. Yeah. And the answer was? And, no, my grace <laughs> is sufficient for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, and I'll... There's more to talk about here, but at a pastoral level, so I, I'm picturing parents caring for their kids. That's a pastoral moment, right? It's not just vocational pastors. But when I say pastoral moment, in a pastoral setting, anytime you're caring for another person, could be your spouse, could be your kids, I don't jump to, hey, this is demonic, but neither do I, do I deny it. That's good. Mm-hmm. I, I will say, hey, give, you know, I'll, I'll begin to pray for insight. What's up here? Uh, how, how should we handle this? And I may or may not dress, address it over the course of weeks or months, uh, depending on my sense of what's going on. I think there's another question in this regard a little later. Yep. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> next question. The Bible both talks about standing firm and fleeing temptation. Please discuss that tension and how to know when to stand versus when to flee. So I... I don't see a direct tension between standing firm and fleeing. So the passage, one of the passages that talks about standing firm is Ephesians 6, 14. It says, stand firm then with the belt of truth fastened around your waist. So there's this posture of um, embracing truth, telling the truth, uh, living with integrity, being a person of truth. And that's, that's a posture of standing firm. 
Remember, Christ is the is the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, anything in which we are truthful, we're imaging Christ. Yeah, I took it as sorry. Did I cut you no, off? Go for it. Um, I didn't see the tension either. I think you're standing firm in the faith, and you're fleeing sin. Right? Yeah. You're always going to flee from sin. You're always going to run from sin. You're always going to and you and part of standing firm can be fleeing from. It is sin. a way to stand for right. Yeah. Like I didn't see the tension between the two. And then I started thinking about it and maybe this person is thinking, when do I endure temptation? When do I, is there a, what the, the idea of enduring through something that's hard and difficult and maybe has aspects that feel um, sinful in, and you know, if so in a relationship of some kind, maybe there's a feeling of, I don't want to, I think that's dangerous to put words into the question asker's mind, but I'm trying to see it from a perspective of how might there be a tension? Do I do, do I endure through this relationship of, um, you know, somebody who is, um, you know, it's damaging their sinful behavior or whatever, or do I just cut and flee? It's um, interesting from a relational perspective. I see what you're saying. So, so if, if I have a friendship with someone that is introducing a lot of temptation. Yeah. Right. Right. Into my life. Exactly. Do um, I, Stand firm. How do I endure and stand firm? And you can't just, you know, flee from everything that feels not right, uncomfortable. You'd be living alone. (laughs) Right. So I I do think that there's, we always want to stand firm in faith and we need to pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's wisdom and discernment in what types of relationships we continue to try to cultivate and, and hope for change and, and then and which ones we, we flee, we yeah. flee from. I think of counsel giving, you know, with my boy, particularly my boys who are in high school, what relationships are worth continuing to press into, not just with girls, but guys as you know, what's worth trying to, okay, you know, we're and what is saying, you know, don't be spending your time in with that circle or those people. Cause it's it can, you bring that up. I, can I've be told, dangerous for you. Yeah. I've told my kids before that person, you are not what they need because there are some relationships in the high school, in college in particular, where we move towards people, we want to help them mm-hmm. and we end up taking on water mm-hmm. before we know it, our, our heads are below the water. So I've told my kids before, they need someone other than you in their lives to help them. You, you don't, you don't have what they need mm-hmm. for help. Simone, I wonder about, you got something, Matt? Go ahead. Simone, I wonder about the work you do with women and this whole notion of stand firm, flee temptation. Is there a lot of dialogue in that respect in, in the house? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's a little bit um, deeper because you incorporate trauma into this conversation. And so that uh, is a, a whole nother level of healing that we're asking for. And so it's confusing to know what, kind of a little bit like you were saying, John, what is worth standing firm. And you said something, I think you said, is there a temptation that we were to endure? And I wonder if, if you meant there's never a temptation that we endure, we flee from temptation. Right. And so, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Coming back to the question that Kelly just asked, we had this conversation of, we would coach we know our women to never be in a situation where temptation, because the, the types of temptations that they're facing have a really high cost. So substance abuse right. or an abusive relationship or, you know, something that's could be life threatening. So those are temptations that will always you know flee as far from right. as possible. Um, but standing firm on the why you're 
Right. And those I things. think that's a little bit of, I think you're, it's helpful. I think a little bit of it is that's the, the asking for wisdom and discernment mm-hmm. because not every person. Right. It's not life threatening. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for the people that you're counseling and working with, mm-hmm. man, the, the boundaries and the help. It's a little more black and white. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. gotta be really, really clear cut and structured and, you know, mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of things that, risk, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of things at stake. So, Well, it's yeah. interesting. Let, I'll give an example. So, uh, you know, I'd like to go out with somebody sometime. We'll get a beer at a bar. But if I had, if I had, uh, if I were an alcoholic, I wouldn't even do that. I wouldn't entertain that potential temptation. But uh, as far as I know it, alcoholism isn't a live temptation for me, cultivating that type of dependency on alcohol. Uh, but there are still some bars I would never go to. Not right. all bars are equal. Right. <laughs> there are some temptations that are very real for me that can entangle me quickly. And I don't need, need to be in certain types of bars. For example, if they're serving alcohol and people are taking off their clothes and that, you know, if there was an entertainment element there that was. So I do think there's some wisdom needed. Like, what are my wounds? What are my uh, yeah. potential entrapments, entanglements and sin? And, um, and where does wisdom exercise as far as standing firm? And those decisions are best made in community. Mm-hmm. I, I, go ahead. Go. That's where I yeah. was going to go with it. I, I have an example that's applicable to this. Um, uh, several years ago, <clears throat> I was working for the church, well, I was a believer, and I took on a second job playing in this band on the weekends. And, uh, you know, it was every Friday and Saturday night. And um, it was r- quite lucrative. And in our family needed it. Filthy and so, lucre. <laughs> and so I, uh, yeah, like went into it, eyes wide open. Uh, talked to one of my good friends at the church who was on staff with me, like set up an accountability with him. Because I knew like, you know, every Friday and Saturday night, I'd be out until two in the morning. We'd be in a bar playing music. People would be getting drunk and acting crazy. And, you yeah. know, it'd be crazy. Um and I also knew that going into it, okay, this has a time stamp on it. I don't know what that is yet, but like, I'm not going to just do this, you know, indefinitely. Like there's going to be a time where it's going to be time to go. And I'm going to check in with my, with my guy after each weekend and have him ask the hard questions. And, and we did that. And I was glad to be there. Uh, Cause there was a lot, and I think probably I've talked about it before in the podcast, but there was a lot of opportunities where uh, if I weren't there, I don't know what would have happened. That could have been, drive, you know, drunk driving, stuff like that, where I stepped in and was able to do things like that or counsel people, talk to people, be there for, you know. So anyway, um, that was a good example of like, okay, I know this is a sinful lifestyle I'm walking into and, and being around. Others are sinning. Uh, yeah, yeah, right. That's right. I'm, I'm watching this go right. on. Yeah. Uh, and in a sense, you could probably argue I'm contributing to the mm-hmm. party of it in a sense. And so I have to weigh all of that, you know, along with it. And then yeah, at some point it was like, okay, I, I can't do this anymore. It's got to be, it's yeah. got to be time to go. But um, I don't regret doing it. And I'm glad I was, I was there for the time that I was there. Um, but I, I also felt good about the the systems that I put in place going into it. So, mm-hmm. and really, I imagine, so- I imagine there's probably other people out there who have a similar similar uh, struggles with their career, with their job. Mm-hmm. Not not that you're out to, at a bar until two, but you may be working somewhere where I'll someone give, has very example. questionable yeah, ethics I'll, and morals. And yeah, I'll give you an example. So we had a um, a place open up by the old Wheaton Bowl. Mm. Hot oh, shots. Yeah. Hot shots. Mm-hmm. And they were taking nude photos in this 
this little strip mall right across. They were from doing Wheaton more Bowl. than taking nude photos. Yes, you're I'm right. Sure you're going there. They that were. Was, yeah. And and it incensed me. It was less than a hundred yards from the high school that all my kids had gone through. Mm-hmm. It incensed me that there was a loophole in zoning that allowed them to do this. Mm-hmm. And so I and, and I, you were apart and trying to get our local politicians and the, and the politicians worked really hard to close that zoning loophole and move them out of the place. And they did it successfully. But at one point I had to read mm. the sheriff's undercover report mm. because to, to evict them, we had to prove, or it had to be proven, that they weren't actually a photo booth, yeah. that they were doing much uglier things. Mm-hmm. And when I read the sheriff's report, mm-hmm. I can't imagine having the job yeah. and doing what the evidence, we'll call it mm-hmm. evidence collection, that mm-hmm. they were required to do, uh, was uh, a burden. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a real burden. Mm-hmm. So I, there, there are situations um, that are, you know, professionally very difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I, I appreciate the heart of this question because we're not called to go save believers, right? We're called to save, or we don't save anybody, but to minister and share the gospel with the unbelieving community, the unbelieving world. And they don't all live these perfect, beautiful lives. That's easy right. to go and do that. So I think it's a good question. How do we stand firm in what we know to be true mm-hmm. while fleeing temptation. I think the heart behind fleeing temptation is to God is saying, protect yourself in in a sense. So it's a good question. It's really hard. Now I'm more confused. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's easy. It's hard to, to, there are principles that we want to embrace with that allow us to address unique situations because every situation Mm -hmm. is unique. So we want to do this in community. Mm -hmm. We don't want to make these decisions about, uh, Alone, like you had Jennifer's permission to go out and work these band, work in the band. Yes. You had a male accountability, someone asking you the really yep. tough questions, and everyone on staff knew. Yeah, mm. like you know, it wasn't yes. this thing that you I was kind of doing, and right, yeah, right. And so right. I, I just think there are some principles to how we stand firm in pro- potential situations where we're going to have to flee and say no yeah. to temptation. Right, yeah. right. Even if your motives are good, because like to your point. If you're called to do outreach or have a reason to be at a bar and you're an alcoholic, yeah, then you shouldn't be doing that. Yeah. yeah. You can find another place to do outreach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next question. I realize that everything that happens in the world is ultimately allowed by God. How do you discern between suffering that God allows intended to refine us and Satan's discouragement? Again, this gets back to the pastoral. So pastorally, I don't spend a lot of time vexed about... Um, this issue. I ask for wisdom. What, hey, God, I, you know, I'm going through this or my family's going through this. I ask for wisdom. Then I ask for understanding. Help me understand the origins of these trials. Have I acted foolishly? Has my flesh led my family into this? Uh, is this just a, a trial brought because we're in the world and we're in the collective community of sinners? So sometimes my flesh brings trials into my life or my family's life. Sometimes the world around me, other people's sin or the collective nature sin. And then sometimes it's the devil, a, a unique, acute attack. And I do my best to address those um, appropriately, but I, I endure all hardships the same. I endure them as discipline mm-hmm. and pray they produce a harvest of righteousness. Let me, pre- let me read that passage. It's Hebrews chapter 12 and it's 7, 10 and 11, the verses. It says, endure hardship as discipline. So anytime I go through something difficult, I'm going to say, how can I grow? This is discipline. God is treating you as a child. 
For what children are not disciplined by their father? God disciplines for us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. And that's what I want for those who are trained by it. So I, I try to let hard times have the good effect on my life of maturing me, growing me, and, and then discerning along the way, what's the origin of this? And, and how can I be done with it? How can I move through it? Because if it is a, a, an attack of Satan, then I want to begin addressing it with the armor I've been given. Uh, and if it's my own sin that's brought it in, I want to close that door. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was thinking of it as um, like the prescription for, um, and, and you, you kind of pointed to this, but if you're, if you're suffering, you pray. If you're enduring, you know. Uh, if you're being tempted, discouraged by the devil, you pray. If you, you know, the, the, um, and praying for and asking for discernment. And lo- like you said, Lord, is this something that I've, I've walked myself into a place of dark? We should always be praying that prayer whenever we're facing something that feels heavy and discouraging. And, you know, there's, n- my point is that it's not like, well, we, dis- we discovered that it's this thing, so now we're going to do something totally radically different. Yeah, I'm still going to uh, depend on Christ. Right, and pray, for ask endurance. for endurance, yeah. you know, um, ask for... The grace that Paul needed, my right. grace is sufficient for you, right. for this m- messenger of Satan. Right. I don't know. What do you think, Simone? <laughs> I'm thinking about, like, <clears throat> this is a really hard question. I... um because I think, so I, okay, the first thing that came to my mind is a woman in, on our staff who's struggling with infertility. And this is, it, you know, infertility impacts a number of families, a number of women. And it's a really hard thing to talk about. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, a, a badge that you don't want necessarily because it, it doesn't, it, it's hard to walk through it. And I'm thinking how if if the question asker is thinking about something really personal in their own life how difficult you almost want an answer like this is not satan trying to discourage you this is god's plan for you this is his sovereignty there is something good can come from this even though it feels so hard and it feels so lonely and and um i don't know so i'm just thinking about how we wish there was some clarity around this. Like, I don't know that we're ever really going to know if this is whatever the hardship we're walking through is meant. If it's, if it's Satan trying to discourage us or not, I don't, I just know that it's really hard. <laughs> That's yeah. my answer. Life is hard. Yeah. Um, life can be hard. Life can be hard. Like when your microphone drops like that. <laughs> yeah. So it, I do think of, Am I going to get it right? Romans, the one, the verse in Romans that talks about how God works out all things for the good of those who love him mm-hmm. yeah. called according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. That I believe that I know is true. And even if something as t- hard as infertility is impacting someone's life, we can by faith believe that God is there. W- there can be a purpose in this. Mm-hmm. I love that you gave a, a very practical issue mm. and very com- fairly common issue for the families of our community. Mm. All right, let's go to the next question. Do you think 
that any large, identifiable segments of the evangelical church in America have been deceived by the enemy into believing certain things that are untrue. In other words, do you think the American church has been deceived at an institutional level? This is a great question. So I talked about the the names and or strategies of our enemy. One of them was he's described as the father of lies. So he's a liar. Um, he's also a deceiver. He misrepresents and tries to get us to buy into even if someone came up after one of the services and said, you know, uh, more often more dangerous than a blatant lie is a half truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I think there's, I think there's truth there as well. So I want to set this answer up well. I think it's a complex question. And the first thing I want to do is define terms because there's a lot of terms in the question. So the American church is referenced twice, and I want to define that. I define the American church as all Christians in America. Not everybody that goes to church is a Christian. So I'm saying uh, if you're a part of the American, if you're a Christian, then you're a part of the American church. If you're trusting in Christ and born again, then you're a part of this broad thing that I often refer to from the pulpit as the American church. I believe uh, that there are Christians um, in uh, American churches that are not evangelical. So one of the uh, phrases or terms that needs to be defined after the American church is defined, all Christians in America, we need to define the evangelical church. So the evangelical church is a subset of the American church. Uh, so it is, it's one of the churches in America, and it's, it's the church that, it's the part of that subset that we're a part of. Y'all are giving me side eye. Am no. I getting this all right? All right. No, you're good. good. No, all right, so an ev- the evangelical church is described as the church that believes in the authority of Scripture, the necessity of the new birth, the nature of salvation being by grace through faith alone in Jesus, and then places a, an importance on evangelism. Go out and share the gospel. <laughs> Try to be con- a part of the conversion experience of folks. And so we've got the American church, all Christians in America. We've got the evangelical church, a subset of the American church. Um, and, it, and there are particular tenets that make us evangelical. And I, I, I'm sorry to say that those are being even debated today. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a, the evangelical church is, has lost some of its distinctiveness. And then over and against the, the evangelical, no, that's the wrong way to say it. Uh, then we could also talk about the mainline denominations. So Presbyterian, Episcopalian, Methodists, um, those, those mainline denominations may or may not be evangelical. So the Southern Baptist uh, churches in America that are part of the Southern Baptist denomination, they are typically evangelical in their, as a denomination. But there are many denominations that aren't decidedly evangelical and that are actually, um, in many respects, uh, flagging on their doctrinal orthodoxy. So, but the question is, the evangelical church in America, has it been deceived? And, and I, are there... Things. So we want to define the evangelical church. Yeah. So I just gave the f- those tenets. Yeah, that's yes. what you just did. Right. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I'm just t- I'm clarifying because you're just, I'm, you're drilling down the funnel. Pay I'm attention, trying. John. I'm paying attention. <laughs> and I would say, yes, I think the evangelical church is an era, error in some degree, to some degree. In other words, I, I think it'd be really arrogant and I want I, to say that no, we have no doctrinal mm. problems or right. 
If there's a church that hasn't been deceived, let me know. I'm going to sign up. Right. Like, so <laughs> so I, I want to say yes. That's my gut. I'm sure the evangelical church has doctrinal error, uh, places where we've been duped. In fact, if you just do a, a cursory review of the evangelical church in America, take, for example, the issue of slavery. Mm. The Southern Baptist denomination, an evangelical denomination, was founded, started. The reason it was started was so that they could send out missionaries who owned slaves. That's the reason it was started. They didn't repent of that sin until the year 1995. They didn't publicly repent of that sin until 1995. So... I don't want to be so arrogant as to say that the evangelical church has it all together now. I'm sure there are things that, that we'll be repenting of in the future. I hope because we're just, we're not perfect people. So with all that said, I will offer a couple areas where I think the evangelical church um, could grow and is in fact is growing. I think we're in a unique time in evangelical history where uh, some light is being shed uh, not as much on orthodoxy, but on orthopraxy. Orthodoxy is right belief. Orthopraxy is right uh, practices. And, and orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. So I'll give one example. There are large swaths of the evangelical church that don't believe that the gifts in the New Testament are still available today. That doctrinal position is called cessationism. And the reason it's to, to satiate is to be done or to be full or to be filled. And so it's, I think I've got this right. It, I know the name. It, it, so cessationism means they, they don't believe they, they're in practice anymore or are offered by the Spirit. So this, that would be gifts of healing, exorcism, uh, gifts of prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues are, are gifts that evangelical cessationists think are no longer available for the church. I think that is a doctrine that is, um, is, is, a, is deceived. I think it's wrong. Um, Glowing Bible Church is a continuationist church. We believe those gifts continue to be available in the church and can be exercised. We pray for folks healing every Sunday, every Sunday. People come forward, they need God's care in their life. We have uh, tongue speakers in our church. Uh, so uh, we believe, you know, so I think cessationism is one area where some parts of the evangelical church um, are, are in error. Um, I'll give two more and then I, I see some of you guys um, have some thoughts as well. So the, that's orth, that has to do with orthodoxy, right belief. The set, these next two have to do with orthopraxy. I think the seeker-sensitive movement, uh, I think a light has been shine, shown on its weaknesses. The seeker-sensitive movement was a movement in which churches, the gathering of the people of God, was aimed at uh, making non-believers at ease and so that they would come to church. I'll, I'll give an example. It's a prime example. Willow Creek was started. It was constructed. The, art, the, the, 
the philosophy of ministry of Willow Creek was started from a survey they took of house, uh, families in the area. And basically the survey was, what would, what, would, what would it take for you to come to church? And then they, off that survey result, they built this church that just grew to huge, huge impact. But I would see Willow Creek more as an evangelistic outreach than actually a church. I think it was a, a permanent um, evangelistic outreach. Um, so we're a believer focused church here. Um, so our services are aimed at believers. We're, in, we're inviting believers to sing out the lyrics of the song and, and to pray and to, to open their minds. We're, we're certainly seeker aware and we hope and believe every Sunday that, that seekers are present, but the gathering of God's people is for the gathering of God's people. So, um, one of the points you were making a, a minute ago was that orthodoxy, Affects orthopraxy, right? Praxy, yeah. Oh, orthopraxy. Um, so, in the orthopraxy of seeker sensitive sensitive services, what orthodoxy affected that? Do you think just evangel like? Well, I so I think I think you're building an appropriate bridge. I think our theology fuels our practice. Yeah, I mean, I um, I think. I think that could happen if you just elevated, and this isn't to say that evangelism isn't really important, but if you took evangelism and just said, this is the most important thing of all of our core values, beliefs, mm -hmm. doctrines, um, then I could see how you would kind of have this evangelism you get the car at, before the at all course. costs. It forms the no culture. No matter what, go anywhere, say anything you got, just get them here. Right. Like I would see, I could see how that could create a and they, and they yeah. baptized hundreds yeah. and hundreds and thousands of people. But even later, they did a, a self-assessment of the church, and they, they identified that they were a mile wide yeah. and an inch deep. Yeah. That yeah. They, the Reveal Conference. The yeah. Reveal Conference. And so that they had failed to really make disciples. Mm. They'd made lots of converts yeah. and failed to make disciples. And I, I, to your point, I think if you were going to hinge this on theology fuels our practice, you know, if, if you're... If you're not actually laser locked on making disciples, then evangelism can trump all other practices. That's a good it, point. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the goal is not simply to make converts, to, but to make followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. Um, the last thing I would say is I, I'm hyper concerned, and I think this is, this is a, a huge light has been shown on this, uh, for in the 90s and the early 2000s, well, in the 80s and the 90s and the early 2000s, the model of leadership for local churches was the CEO model. They had borrowed from the business world, and they were looking for leaders to be like the leaders in, that are leading IBM and Chrysler and, and these large companies. But the biblical model for leadership is a shepherding model, mm -hmm. and we need people who will shepherd God's people, not, not rule over God's people. And I, you know, I'm failing to think of any specifics here, but the... Well, the things that drive the things that you measure and drive for and all that in the corporate world are, are they're mm -hmm. different than the church world. There is obviously some leadership skills and sure. crossovers and things like that. But I think what you're pointing at is there was a forsaking, for lack of a better word, of a shepherding culture for a corporate culture. And over the last decade, a lot of that's starting to be kind of undone, where churches are realizing that they had given up on the idea of pastors and shepherds and that sort of thing. And some of the corporate culture of 
America. of America had infiltrated the church in some unhealthy ways. Right. There were healthy ways and unhealthy ways. And um, yeah, like to I, the extent, so, to the extent where some qualities of a shepherd were seen as a weakness. Yeah. You know you're, what I mean? Too oh, gentle. totally. Like, like too you spent how long praying today for our staff? Right. 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 <laughs> right. 45 minutes praying for us. Right. Uh, you know, we got this campaign coming up, right? Right. Like, Return on investment. What's the return on investment? Yeah, in that I mean, I've heard of churches with, you know, bonus structures based on attendance and growth and things like that, which is, I mean, it's just, that's a needle you're threading of like, <laughs> yeah, right, who's right. really working? Who's really m- building the church? Yeah, yeah because <laughs> those who can communicate best are mm-hmm. typically going to win. Right. You know, it's, they're going right. to be able to tell their stories. So I, I growing a church and leading a church Growing a church and and discipling and shepherding are they're often very different. Lots of things, things. grow a church. Yes, anger can grow a church. Right. You, get, you get someone fear. in the pulpit. It's fear. Fear yeah. can grow it's, a church. It's when numeric and financial growth, which are often really closely associated with each other, become the primary drivers. Yeah, we say around here, numbers say something; they don't say everything. Mm-hmm. That's and super so helpful mm-hmm. for me. We like want when to be you aware say that, of it's a good is, is attendance going mind. up? Is attendance going? We want to be aware of that. Sure, mm-hmm. but we're not going to uh, set our vision based on simply increasing attendance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've never in the all the years I've been here, I've never once heard us say our attendance goal is X mm, by this time. This goes back to the previous question of <laughs> yeah. standing firm on theology and fleeing the temptation that the world or the culture could mm. put on in this example, a church to look a certain way or measure a certain thing. It's a, um, very applicable to the previous mm-hmm. question about standing firm and fleeing. On the CEO versus shepherd model, when new new folks come onto the elder board, new men come onto the elder board, I often meet with them and I say, "Hey, if you've served on other boards, out in out in you know whether they're nonprofit boards or for profit organizations, I say your experience on the elder board could be very different, and I don't want you to be frustrated because I've had a number of men come onto the board and say." When do we get to the decision making? Mm. And there are decisions to be made. We'll make some decisions this Wednesday night. But by and large, the role of elders at Glenn Bible Church is to pray. Mm. And, and, and we pray in our meetings, but to lead their family well, we select men, Lord willing, that are leading. Their, their, we see them praying with their family. We know they're praying with their shepherding already, maybe leading small groups or teaching in our kids' ministry. And so the the, what we're asking for men to do is to be shepherds, not, not CEOs. And it, it's actually much more difficult <laughs> because it, it has to do with, you know, how am I doing as a man? Am I continuing in repentance? Am I, am I cultivating dependence upon Christ? So, there are a couple other spots here. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was thinking through this question a little bit. We had a good discussion this morning. I get nervous though a little bit on the is Satan deceiving and like how that all because forgive me because sometimes I think the intent in the beginning was not that Bad. Satan infiltrated gave yep. an idea and then it's implemented. Sometimes I think what happens is the idea is actually potentially comes from a good spot but then when you look back you realize man that was twisted you vectored and off changed yeah. and mm. and so then i guess you could look at the initial thing and say well maybe we shouldn't have entertained that at all in the beginning but i was yeah. thinking about the some of the purity culture stuff mm. that the evangelical church was kind of known for um 
you know, the I Kiss Dating Goodbye and some of that stuff that was like what the evangelical church in the 80s and 90s was like, that was what we were known for, right? Promise it was rings. like promise rings, abstinence, and, um, and not that, again, let's be honest, those things weren't necessarily bad, but... Uh, what grew up around it was really what, unhelpful. What, exactly. Yeah. And, and the, some of the, the shaming mm-hmm. of those who didn't remain pure and some of the damage that was done as people entered into marriages. And, and then the damage done to some who remain pure, pure. I can't tell you how many women came out of the 80s or 90s into marriage and no one had told them the blessing that sexual contact uh, intimacy with their husband was supposed to be. Right. And how to cultivate. You just, you just told them what not to do. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, the, there was a lot of language about, you know, um, how women should look and act because, you know, men are, young men are these crazed individuals and it's just this shaming. And it just, when we look, I think a lot of people are looking back at that time period now and saying, man, we could have handled that a lot better. (laughs) Like, and maybe it goes longer back in church history, but, you know, helping in the sex crazed culture in which we currently live, which is different than any other time in terms of availability. And I mean, you know, some of this world, right? In the sex trafficking world and all these things with pornography and the internet and all this kind of stuff, the conversation around purity, helping young people, you know, navigate sexuality. And I just think of, you know, how that went and what the things that, you know, were built up around. I was, we were talking a little bit too about, um, this is interesting going, talking about evangelism, but the model or the sort of the, the, um, the really, uh, defined organizational, uh, stuff around salvation. Mm. How you were? Here's how it happens. You know, one, every you know two. everybody in the room with all heads bowed and all eyes closed. If you want to follow Jesus, raise your hand. And it goes into the to the um, the cor- some of the Willow Creek corporate seeker sensitive. All that kind of stuff is in there. And I think there was a season of the evangelical church broadly was an inch deep and you know, a hundred miles wide. And Where we got, again, a lot of people with their heads bowed and their hands up. Inoculated and they, a little right. bit, right? And they, like not discipled, not understanding. I heard somebody say, you know, your, your commitment to Jesus may be personal, but it's never private. And, mm. you know, there was this move to like, oh, no, no one else in your school will know if you <laughs> raised your hand because everybody's eyes are closed. So if you're making a decision for Jesus right now, it'll be private and mm. you can just keep it to yourself. What? Mm. That's not good. Mm. <laughs> That's not, that is really not good. And I think we've changed. The church has grown and moved and changed. And, um, you know, there was a little bit of um, a movement for a while of like going door to door and selling siding to people and no relationship, no cultivating relationships, no long-term discipleship strategies, sort of a, I don't know. So, I think we've grown out of some of that, but I, there's some tales still hanging on, right? Anyway. Hope we helped the listener. All right. It's, it's a big question. It is. Um, okay, let's go to the next one. With all the, with all the deception in the world, how do we develop and exercise discernment? Understand nuance when it's needed and clarity to act when called to act. All right, so deception is kind of the the background or the foundation of this question, and then how do we develop? Uh, 
And so I took this as a spiritual maturity question. Mm -hmm. Like, how do we grow in discernment, understanding? Um, how do we appropriately nuance the complexities of life and then identify clarity to act? And so I've wrestled with spiritual maturity a lot. It's um, kind of a passion point of mine. There's a verse in Hebrews. I want to read it. Uh, Hebrews 5, 13 to 14. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Here's my takeaway. There is a constant use needed to develop, that's the question, discernment, understanding the nuances of living in a complex world, and then having clarity to act in a godly fashion. That comes over time with a training mentality. And so yeah. we have- Beating my body and running the race, all right. those metaphors, right? Yeah. So I, this, how does this happen with all the deception in the world? I think it takes a constant consistency. It, there has to be a training and we have to wrestle with the differences between good and evil. And it takes time. Um, so, so Paul said in Philippians, uh, John was kind of quoting it. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take this view. There's a pressing on, <laughs> It's just a hard work. There's a labor. It's interesting because um, I think I think about this stuff a lot. Like what, um, it, particularly in the world in which the community that we're in is very um, can be very kind of a bubbleish experience, and lots of Christians and and um, I think about it in terms of my kids because it's like you know. Um, are, are we ever going to get on the field here? Or are we just always practicing and always training? Like there's an element of, like I want my kids to face real moments of, get of some reps. crisis in yeah. their faith. Where, and that can be really scary because if you just lock your doors and turn off the TV and you know, kind of cloister yourselves and you just, you're training, 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 and you never have any actual interactions, you're you know, for a young person, their faith can not feel real. It hasn't actually been put into practice. And they so, need go ahead. Go, no, I just looking how, you know, praying for my kids to have experiences in their life where they they have to put their faith mm -hmm. to practice. They need it too, right? I mean, yeah. only for their own faith and for what they're standing on. My daughter was approached last week, um, she was at the library and by some Mormon missionaries wow. and uh, she was with a girlfriend and I'm sure they were as, they were as kind as can be. Um, but they started witnessing to her. They were sharing their faith with her and her friend. And um, my, my daughter's 14 and she has, you know, she gave her life to Jesus as a young age and was baptized this summer here at GEBC. And she's been in Christian private school for a few years. So I was really hoping she would, uh, Knocked us out of the park. Um, <laughs> this is what um, we train yeah. for. Right, right. All those reps. Um, but really, when she was telling me about it, I think the point I was trying to make is that she was 
invigorated. She Mm. was so glad to have the opportunity to share Mm, um, her own faith with somebody who, um, you know, was sharing their faith as well. And I just felt so happy, like happy for her to have that experience, joyful for her to have that experience to see, to, to feel the leading of the Holy spirit in that moment. Because to your point, John, she's not faced with many difficult things in her life. And uh, not that this was even difficult, but it was an opportunity for her to, wait, what do I believe? All of a sudden I'm being challenged on my theology and do I know it? Cause I've taken Bible tests every month for the last six years. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, so it's a great it, example. It's so good for them. Mm-hmm. They too need um, to be taken out of the training room and put on, you know, put on the field. Mm-hmm. Did I sound did I fit in like right then when I said a you did a good, sport good. you did good with the sports things, yeah. <laughs> nice job with yeah. the sports as she pretends that she doesn't watch football yeah. every Saturday well and it's true <laughs> up way too late watching that game that went into overtime <laughs> all right uh, shall we go to the next question yeah we got a lot yeah we have two more uh, here we go how would you suggest that we respond when other Christians make claims regarding the mark of Satan? For example, there are growing claims that the COVID vaccine is the mark of the devil among certain Christian communities. Man, somebody's going right for it. <laughs> Have y'all been vaccinated? No, I'm <laughs> Don't answer that. How do you feel about masks? I hate masks. Mm. All right, so... How many things in the last 20 years have been potentially the mark of the beast? Right. Great point. Your iPhone and your credit cards. And, you know, I have the microchip right here. It's really nice. When I go to Jewel, I can just just swipe it. (laughs) I say 20 years. It's probably more like 50 years. I I was just somewhere thinking, I wish my phone could do that. And I can't remember what it was, but I was like, it'd be so nifty. Oh, it was, sorry, my car. I was like, why can't I find my keys? Can my phone do this? It can. There are... Well, yeah. not your car, probably, right? <laughs> yeah, to Matt's point, I mean, this notion of a kind of an involuntary, unknowingly, unwittingly being marked with the mark of the beast, 666, it's out of Revelation chapter 13. Interestingly, the mark of the beast is referred to seven times. How many sevens are in the book of Revelation? It's, it's fascinating to do just a count on that. So the mark of the beast is connected to both the name of the beast and the worship of the beast. Most importantly, it stands in direct contrast to the seal of God, the mark of God, which is described in Revelation chapter 7. In other words, there's no middle ground in the book of Revelation. You are either on the side of God Almighty or you are marked with Satan. As a, as a follower and worshiper of Satan. However, I actually believe both marks are going to be, they're figurative. I don't think they're literal. Uh, you don't have to agree with me there. It's not a, a major uh, to die on, but I think both marks are meant to describe or portray a person's loyalties, whether to God or to Satan. And, and I think the takeaway for me from the book of Revelation is we need to, we need to decide whose team we're on here. We need to, to, our loyalties need to, to be firmed up and staked down, and we need to live for Christ. Uh, but I don't see any indication that anybody will be tricked into unknowingly <laughs> taking the mark of the beast. And here's why. That's a good point. Because those who refuse, that's actually the word, you know, it's a refusal. They're, those who refuse to worship the beast are going to face persecution. So, and, and so it's clear that no one's getting duped. Some people are saying, I have nothing to do with that. I don't want that. So the notion that the COVID vaccine is a mark of the beast really strikes me as naive at best. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to say ignorant at worst. And I know it's out there. I know that there are Christians out there saying, don't get the vaccine because you're unknowingly getting a chip that Bill Gates, who is apparently some sort of antichrist. I mean, I I just think how unfair that is to Bill Gates. and Unless he really is the beast. Yeah. (laughs) So. It's, Simone brought it up earlier about fear. You can lead and be powerful when you stir up fear. Yeah, you you can and grow the attendance there, of a church there by is, fear mongering. There is a whole movement all based on to the Christian world in so many different things. About to your point, Matt, this has been going on for fifty years, right? We right. we pick things that are going on in culture or whatever. I mean, I remember it was like don't ever shop at Kmart because it was like. When I was a kid, right? We boycotting because what world did you the, grow the, up? The devil, you know, through, was through in Kmart. Kmart, and like I don't know the founders. You know, there's all these things, yeah. these fears, these rumors, these like movements that all come out of these. You know, the mark of the beast is in the vaccine, and and, and a whole bunch of people jump on that, and you get power and you get influence because you make some kind of fear mongering statement and. To your point, though, Kelly, it, there's no duping going on, I think, is probably the biggest takeaway. Yeah. You, you confess your allegiance knowingly to something that yeah. is evil against Jesus Christ. You're not duped into it. You don't find out later, oh. So you're, saying, see, that the, you, the, you're saying that when, uh, when this goes down, there will be, people will know that something is evil and choose evil. Because uh, I think against, I think against ge- Christ, there will be because I think the general involved, think consensus, is, yeah, because the general consensus I felt like is like people are afraid that they might accidentally not follow God, not follow Jesus, but but choose the other okay, direction. So here's the I think the 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 use of the word deception or the role of deception in the experience. So anybody that follows Satan is deceived. <laughs> They're deceived in in as much as I think this is going to right. go well for them. Right. That, that Satan offers them life for power or resource. But right. they aren't doing something going, oh, wait, that was the devil? Oh, wait, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're opting for something other than Christ and, and thinking it's going to serve them well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Um, okay, let's go to the next controversial question. Here we go, we're going to talk oh, about some Halloween. Yeah. I do not understand the obsession with Halloween. You should have seen the Helpins taking down their 20-foot skeleton this weekend. It was crazy over there. (laughs) I already told you our takeaway. My kids wanted to go find the skeletons. (laughs) Oh, skeletons. (laughs) He talked about some awesome-sounding skeletons at church. There's there's going to be, tomorrow, there's going to be skeletons outside GBC protesting. That would actually be funny. (laughs) If someone put a skeleton up in their yard, it'd be funny for a moment. They're going to be out there protesting, calling for skeleton rights. All right, read the question. Okay, here we go. Sorry, I interrupted. (laughs) I do not understand the obsession with Halloween. Why celebrate it at all, even trick-or-treating? My parents chose not to do costumes or -or trick-or-treating, and looking back, I feel like it was one way I could tangibly see that we were living differently than the world around us. Wouldn't it be wiser if Christians did not participate in Halloween? I think it's fine if Christians don't participate in Halloween. I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's wiser not to. I just don't think it's that simple. I I actually think it's a missed opportunity in my world. Um, And I hope that it is not the only tangible evidence in any Christian family that they're living differently than the world. I hope our Christianity is affecting, is far more pronounced 
than, than simply not participating in certain things. And here's, remember, living differently is not the goal. If living differently were the goal, I'd go be Amish. Mm. I'd just cut myself off and never use zippers or electricity. Zippers. Right. right. They use only hooks. Only buttons. Not Elastic. even buttons. Elastic? <laughs> Some do. No, they use Elastic. just... Elastic. <laughs> yeah, the good is thing is, is that no Amish people are listening right yes. now. Living differently... <laughs> <laughs> living differently is not That's the goal. Christians miss this all the time. Don't miss this. Living differently is not the goal. Being odds, not the goal. Mm. Living differently is an outcome. Mm, that's good. Living yeah. as, as a light in the dark world is the goal. Living as Christ is the goal. Mm. And if you live as Christ, you're a weirdo. Mm -hmm. There's it's no a, getting around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, living weird is a symptom caused from the vaccine of Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, okay. goodness. Yeah. You're going to yeah. yeah. make yeah. every yeah. freaking metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to build a church <laughs> over there. So... I used to tell my kids, listen, you're an art builder. There's no reason to paint your art pink. Hmm. Buildings, arcs are weird enough. So mm -hmm. Noah yep. builds this ark in the desert. That's weird. He's a weirdo. Mm -hmm. He didn't have to paint the ark pink. It was already clear he was a weirdo. So I tell my kids, following Jesus is weird enough. It makes you weird. You don't have to stay home on Halloween. What you have to do is represent Christ mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to stay home on Halloween, fine. But I think here's what makes Christians weird. Going to church every pick and week and saying no to NFL football games because you want to be with the people of God mm -hmm. or whatever. Singing at nine o'clock in the morning. Singing together. Sharing the gospel with your neighbors makes you weird. People aren't doing that. Mm. Uh, traveling on missions trips to help the needy. Giving our resources away to help the poor. I'll plug our coat drive. We could still use coats here. <laughs> Speaking the scripture in conversation. When was the last time you dropped scripture in a, in a party scene, right? In a, taking a meal to those who are hurting. Interceding in prayer for others in a way that they never know about it. Spending your private time alone in prayer for others. That makes you weird. People aren't doing that. For me, Halloween is like handling any other of the gazillion worldly activities. It requires wisdom in how to be in the world, but not of the world. It's like putting up a Christmas tree. Folks, Christmas trees have pagan roots. I put them up, but it's not about the Christmas tree. And the minute it becomes about the Christmas tree at Christmas, or about the food, or about the presents, or about anything other than Jesus, I'm off mission. If Halloween takes me off my mission to live as a Christian, I'm missing an opportunity. So for me, Halloween's about getting to know my neighbors. It's about letting my kids dress up in silly costumes and eating a, an ungodly amount of chocolate. <laughs> And I can still live as Christ in all that. If I turned my lights off and hid in my house on Halloween, I would miss everybody in my neighborhood. I'm off my rant. Y'all can... Mm -hmm. yeah. Legal. You're talking about legalism. I think it's really... Uh, we're drawn to the black and white. We say that a lot. We're drawn to this legalistic way of living. And I'm, I think... And I don't think... Well, tell me if you disagree. There are there's still value and discernment to be placed on Halloween, yes. right? So you did talk about yes. celebrating and so how would you worship. exercise it? Well, I personally don't like spooky things. There are no spooky decorations in, at my house. I just personally don't like them. It's a conversation we're having with our kids. I also don't let my kids dress up in evil inspired costumes. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, we're Elsa again for the 20th time. <laughs> my, my youngest yeah. will be Elsa. I think, you know, my, my older kids are just going for the silly stuff. And some of them are like, eh, that's not 
cute, but it's not evil. Yeah. And so we use discernment in that level. Like what's your ultimate goal here? And if they, and my kids are not innocent of wanting to, to cross the line. And so then we'll have a conversation around that. Well, here's why that's probably not a good idea. You tell me why this is not a good idea. So we just, we use it in, in those ways. And then we also use it as a way to like, this is the one, this Halloween and the 4th of July are two favorite local you know, holidays because all of our neighbors are out. So people yeah. that we never see on a regular basis, we're getting to see and we're catching up with and we're having conversation with. And I don't want to be inside my house protesting and missing the opportunity to have relationships and conversations with people who I don't get to see all that often. So, you know. Yeah. We're, we're the same way. There's a line and we don't cross it. Mm -hmm. There's our kids, you know, are nine, seven, four. They they're interested in candy, and they're interested in the fantasy of becoming some another character, right. one of their superheroes or whatever for a day. That's what they're interested in. Right now, it's Minecraft. That's what they want to. That's what they want to do. It's the adults who get all into the gory, evil yeah. stuff. It's, it's really the adults strange. putting up those giant skeletons. Yes. Right. There's, a, there's a house in Wheaton. There's a house in Wheaton that the Wheaton police had to ask them to change their decor. It no. was too, oh yeah, it's too gruesome. Been, yeah. This year? Uh, I think no. it was last a couple year. Years ago, I gotta yeah. get out more and see all these So, But houses. Wheaton is unique, I'll, I will say. What is it? It's I don't true. know. There is something about Wheaton and Halloween. I've it's never lived in a community where Halloween was so decorated. Agree. Yeah. Same with me. Yeah. I, yeah. Well, it wasn't that way when we were kids. Interesting. Right? Like, no, I don't no, remember. I, I Halloween is, Halloween is decorated more than Wheaton Christmas. has a unique, this area has a unique Interesting. interest well, in Halloween. You and, say Wheaton. Glen Ellen's the same. Too. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I, I mean, when I do, I do this area, the, it's the, all this same. area, it's kind of like, wow, what, what's going on? I think, so can I get a little nerdy on you? This is usually where you go, Kelly. You go. This person might be interested in reading a book by Richard Nyber. He is a... I say Niebuhr, you say Niebuhr. Niebuhr, I say Niebuhr. <laughs> anyway, he's considered one of the most uh, influential Christian theological theologians and an ethicist. He wrote a book in 1951 called Christ and Culture. And he defines a couple different things with Christ and, Christ and culture. Christ against culture, Christ of culture, Christ above culture, Christ and culture and paradox, and then Christ transforming culture. And so I look at this at Halloween as an opportunity to, to help transform mm. something that's going on, much like we've done with some of the pagan things the Christmas in tree. Christmas and we reclaim. So mm, there's yeah. this, this taking of something that's culturally going on and we look at it and we say, Yuck. some of it is bad, right. so we're not going to embrace all of it, but some of it can be redeemed, yeah. the neighborhood dressing up. And so we do it in a way that we stay connected with culture and influencing culture rather than turning off our lights, going down in the basement and not <laughs> answering the door when people come by and people are like, what's up with them? You know, you can participate and I get it. Halloween is kind of unique because of the evil foundations of it. Yeah. But there are lots of things, lots of things that can be transformed and redeemed. And we can participate in a way that brings Christ into it, helps people understand it. Um, and I, I think in the community that we live in, this is a, this is a, a missed opportunity mm -hmm. if you don't... Um, if you don't engage with it at some level. Yeah. So, I have a quick, and there's a quick boiled down version of that. What can you receive? What can you reject? What can you redeem? Yeah. It's three R's. It comes of out anything of the same life, thing. Culture, art, right. receive, reject, redeem. Right. Yeah. And I know people that do things like they host a party 
at their house and they do other things. I never get invited to, to get any uh, no Halloween parties after your your little <laughs> rant, rant on Sunday. Hey, one of the things I would say if if I had little kids and I came to a house that was decorated like that, I can tell you some. Funny there's not stories. a chance I'd let my kids go knock at that door. Yeah, there's <laughs> what is going on in the house? Well, that's I discernment. Mean, I, we had we went to one house one time. These this. <laughs> This our kids were little, and the guy is dressed as like a Dracula figure, and I'm like, we're not going there. And he's got a cup, and it's got like red Kool Aid in it, and he's like, "Hey kids, I'm drinking blood." And the, uh, my kids were like, <laughs> like totally freaked. I'm like, dude, I'm looking. I'm like, it's about candy, dude. What are you thinking? Like, come on, you know? It's like, man, so. I had a, I'll just mention this again. I, I've known a couple witches, and we, we can't pretend that Halloween doesn't matter to them. There, is a, there, are, there are people who take a real demonic opportunity at Halloween. This particular witch, she, she had all types of uh, what she would, I described as worship services, satanic rituals. Yep. Um, for, in connection with Halloween. In connection with Halloween. So there, are, there is ugliness going on. Yeah. Uh, by and large, it's that type of ugliness I don't think is happening in, in Wheaton. It may be. But again, I, I just think the exercise of discernment and that confidence that the light of Christ is greater than any of the darkness we see out there. And let's go kick in the gates of hell. Mm. You, you usually have a Reformation Day party, right? Instead, <laughs> <laughs> you dress as Martin Luther. And I go nail things to people's doors. Because <laughs> that's not weird. <laughs> that would be funny. I need a Martin Luther should, uh, costume. Oh, yeah. Some long hair, a wig. <laughs> I'm sure that a big we can find one. All right. That is all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text Next Level Podcast 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about Sunday sermon and also general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that scripture is a primary means for our getting to know him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you listeners for tuning into the next level. Prophecy.